This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time for bookends. Kia ora, welcome to Bookends with Maren Rat and Ruth Todd. And uh, we're getting into, well, I'm getting into a set of crime novels that seem to come up fairly early in the, in the year. And uh, this one by Nikki Crutchley is uh, quite special. That's good. And I've got an unusual book too. It's about um, the building where Auckland City Mission is now housed. And um, it's it's a special building. And the, the whole story about its conception and the people who inhabit it has been extremely well told by Auckland writer Simon Wilson. Home Ground, the story of a building that changes lives, is a magnificent new book about a magnificent new building that houses the Auckland City Mission. It's written by Simon Wilson, who's one of our most highly regarded journalists. He has formerly edited the Cuisine and Metro magazines. Um, He's written and been the Auckland editor for the spin-off, and he's now senior writer at the New Zealand Herald. His oh, one of his many um, uh, interests, or, or two of his many interests, are urban and social issues. So, Simon, seems to me you were exactly the right person to do this book. <laughs> I was very excited to be asked to do it. Um, you're quite right. Um, I am interested in social issues, and I'm interested in urban design, um, architecture. My father was an architect, so I, um, I have that in my background, um, and and the issues related to that as well. So. I, it was a great opportunity for me. This is a book not just about the building, um, but it's about the people who inhabit, administer, support and resource the building. So where did you start with this? Did, you know? So, yeah, so um, the invitation to do the book uh, was strongly supported by the architects themselves and also a man called Richard Didsbury, now, who is a property developer, retired property developer now, and uh, entrepreneur in Auckland. Um, he's known in some quarters for having developed the Matakana market um, north of Auckland, and in other quarters he's also one of the instrumental people behind Sylvia Park, so he's you know been big in property, if you like, um, and, and urban development more generally. Richard uh, had a sense 20 years ago uh, that it was quite wrong for Auckland to think of itself as a livable city, as a city that where we could hold our heads high if we had uh, people rough sleeping and essentially you know, cast out and marginalised in society in the way that uh, many homeless are. Uh, so Richard's view was, what will we do about this? We surely had the ability to do something about it. And he knew the um, then city missioner, Diane Robertson. Uh, and Diane Robertson had been working with a woman in, in America uh, called Roseanne Haggerty, uh, who had developed a policy called Housing First. Now, the idea of Housing First turns help for rough sleepers on its head. Now, the old idea used to be, that the Victorian idea, if you like, used to be, um, if you can clean yourself up, now, if you can stop drinking, um, then we'll give you somewhere to live uh, and we'll look after you. Now, but 
if you're talking to someone with mental health problems, with addiction problems, they're not going to be able to start putting their life back on track uh, by cleaning themselves up. Um, so Housing First says, we'll give you a home and we'll give you the social services, we'll wrap them around you that you need uh, to help you get your life back on track. Uh, and Housing First has been expressed in the home ground building in a way that is a world first. Uh, 80 people, it's got apartments for 80 people to live in. They are their homes. There are also a whole range of health, mental health, um, dentistry is on its way, social services, counselling, now food, of course, because city missions do a lot of, uh, feed a lot of people, um, uh, um, vocational uh, assistance, all sorts of things uh, to provide that, that wraparound service to help people um, get back together, get themselves back together. Uh, and it's all there in one place. Well, it is an extraordinary vision. As you say, it, it is a world first in, in combining all those things together. I know other places have provided housing, and um, but to have this all in one building. That's right, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so the building itself serves the, the, the larger Auckland um, homeless uh, population, or the, the rough sleeping population especially, um, as well as being the, the serving the people who are actually living in the apartment. So it's a, it's a kind of a mothership, if you like, for the city missions work. And, of course, architecturally, it's already won awards, and I'm sure it will continue to. So the, the, the yeah. they have an extraordinary story. The, the architects were a, a relatively small firm called Stevens Lawson. Uh, back in the early 2000s, there was a competition, and the competition was entered by all the really big architectural firms in Auckland and Stevens Lawson, who were at that stage only five years old. Now, they'd never built a tower block. They'd never built a building with a crane. Um, and uh, the competition was judged by, you know, Richard Ditsby was on the competition uh, judging panel, but so was the Bishop of Auckland at the time. So was the Mayor of Auckland. It was being a city mission. They had this kind of establishment approach to how they worked. Yeah. And uh, Stephen Thorson got onto the shortlist and where all the big firms came in and said, um, well, we think you should build a big car park and wrap, uh, and, and uh, that'll pay for the rest of the services, or we think you should do a mixed development where the top of it is uh, expensive apartments and that'll pay for everything else. Stevens Lawson went in and they had a, uh, uh, a, an experienced property developer that <laughs> they, they said to me, this is, he was the only developer they knew, but they took him in and, and that developer had run the numbers and they said, none of that's going to work, you won't be able to pay for anything, you should forget about the idea that you can build a car park and tack things on, you know, do what you want to do and raise the money to do it is the way to go. So it was a challenge vision, if you like, but on top of that, now, they also wanted to do it in uh, an environmentally sound way. So the building has turned out to be the tallest wooden frame building in the country. Um, it uses uh, a, a building technique that is revolutionising building already in Europe and in Northern Europe, especially places like Norway, uh, and will make big changes here. Uh, so the environmental footprint of this building over the whole of its life will be 80% less than a, a conventional building. Um, and even that, they say, it's not good enough. <laughs> and on top of that, they, they said, we want to make a place that we are proud to 
to offer to people to be their homes. And that's a, that's a sentiment that the staff in the city mission very much embrace. Um, it's, not, it's not a hovel. Um, it's not something horrible and out of the way, and these people don't deserve any better. Uh, the apartments are decent apartments. They're not, they're not quality or flash, uh, but they are decent apartments. Um, with a, each has a kitchenette and a TV and a bed and a balcony, and um, people can be happy to live there. Uh, so that, that's what they've done. And on top of all that, it has a big um, laneway. That's a fashionable word these days, but it has a big alleyway that runs right through the middle, which anybody can use to get from uh, one side of the uh, block to the other. Uh, so there's a central route there in, in the Auckland area, um, in the central city. Um, and that alleyway has all the um, public services on it as well. So uh, it's easy to get in and get a feed if you want or get to the uh, shower the toilets or get to the doctor, um, which is a, a big medical uh, practice there as well. Yeah, so in practicality and in aesthetics and in environmental issues, um, they've built this remarkable building complete with a rooftop garden for the residents. Yes, the form more than enhances the function of the of the building, yeah. and you know you've managed to weave into this um, the story of all the people involved, and I, and I, you know you you've said that one of the highlights for you, I guess, was talking to two of the people who are residents now tenants, in the building. Yeah, yeah, and and you know one of the things that um, the city missions people said to me from the start was our clients are the most traumatised people in society and, and Helen Robinson who is the current uh, city missioner may I put it more bluntly, she said you know that's particularly true for women, we think of rough sleepers as being men and they're the, they're the homeless people we see on the streets but actually there are just as many women it's just that um, it's too dangerous for women generally to be a rough sleeper uh, so they have to find some other way to survive. Uh, but in almost every case, a woman who is a, a client or a resident uh, or a tenant of the city mission will have been the victim of um, some pretty awful abuse uh, and will be very will, will have been traumatised in their whole lives because of it. So these are very very vulnerable people, uh, and. You know, that's a challenge for the city mission. You put you put all these people together. You put eighty of them living there, and you have um, the the dining floor down on ground floor um, serving hundreds of people a day, and the medical centre uh, with a roll call of I think three and a half thousand people on its books. Um, these are all people who benefit from the services, um, but are not necessarily good at social skills. Not necessarily good at living together. <laughs> Um, you know. I think <laughs> so that's an understatement, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. yeah, and so security is an issue for them. So they, they, security is important to them there. They want everyone in that building to feel safe. Now that's a kind of bottom line. Um, and at the same, that means that, um, at the same time they've got to manage the people who are in the building, but also make sure that people who shouldn't be coming in um, don't get in. So, you know, if you're if you're a rough sleeper and you're having trouble with drugs and your choices are um, get myself helped through the city mission or go back into the clutches of the dealer, um, the city mission has to be active in helping them do that. The city mission can't simply say, well, you, you make the choice and let us know when you have. They've got to provide a safe environment that is secure from um, 
people who want to put them on another course or keep them on another course. It's, a, it's, it's, it's very hard work these people do. I'm, I'm so full of admiration for it. Simon, just to finish, I just want to talk about the, the book itself because it does, you know, you need a, a beautifully designed and crafted book to, to pay homage, if you like, to to the care that's gone into this building. And, and the book really does reflect that in the photographs and the layout, in your writing. Tell me just a little bit about that. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, the, the photographs are taken by Mark Smith, professional photographer who spent a long time at the building. Both of us had real difficulty because COVID got in the way of all the plans, of course. <laughs> they were, the mission was very lucky. They got the building up to its full height before the lockdown started. So they, if they got halfway up, they said they probably would have had to just stop at that point. Now, they were lucky to be able to finish, but it took quite a lot longer than they expected. And it also took uh, a lot longer for Mark and uh, me to get in there uh, and start talking to people. And that was all difficult. But Mark spent a long time in there. He stayed some nights in there. Um, and his rolling photo essay of the life of the building, the architecture and most especially the people, the, the residents and the workers, um, I think is just marvellous. The whole idea of the book was that uh, it would be a, a, a statement of aspiration, uh, that people like Richard Didsbury, who led the fundraising to make it happen, uh, would be able to use uh, to inspire people in other cities to do the same. Richard's dream that uh, this kind of approach is rolled out in uh, other parts of the country. Uh, and Housing First has the wonderful benefit of being a non-partisan political issue. National and Labour have always both supported it. Uh, they both found ways to uh, help with the funding of the building. About half the money in the end came from government, and that was done over terms of both uh, the last national government and, and the uh, last Labour government, or the current one. Um, so that buy-in is, is part of the, the beauty of the whole project, if you like. But here's an area where, where actually it's beyond politics. People agree it needs to happen. It's just about how you find the money and how you find the people with the enormous appetite for uh, inspired hard work you know, to, to make it happen. Well, thank you. Thank you for all the great work that's gone into this. Uh, you are on behalf of Massey University Press. It's a lovely book to have and a very inspirational one to read. So well, thank you. the book is called Home Ground, the story of a building that changes lives. It's been written by Simon Wilson. The photographs are by Mark Smith and it's been published by Massey University Press. You're listening to Bookends on Plains FM 96.9. Nikki Crutchley is the author of To the Sea, published in 2021, and prior to this, she self-published three police procedurals set in New Zealand and was a finalist in the Marsh Awards for her first two books. She's been long-listed and regional winner at National Flash Fiction Day 2016 and at the 2017 National Flash Fiction Day, that's hard to say. She had had two stories shortlisted and was a regional winner. Success after success. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and very good to read this new one, In Her Blood. Um, 
I'm not surprised you've been there for um, an Aumash Award and you must be in the running, especially within her blood. Um, it's a remarkable story. Uh, I hadn't read anything like it, I don't think, that no. you really involved two missing girls, uh, mm. two missing two families and two missing girls 21 years apart. Mm. And I thought, how can those, you know, it's a long time, how can those families come together in your story? And they do very cleverly. <laughs> so um, where did it come from? I mean, was doing that police work, did that make you inspired to do crime writing? Um, oh, crime writing altogether. I guess, um, I guess when I started writing, when I first started writing a book, so the first book I wrote was Nothing Bad Happens Here, and I really did it just to give it a go. Uh, I had no no plans to, to do anything with it. But I think um, I'd always read police procedurals and crime books and things like that, um, and I kind of felt like I knew the recipe almost for a crime book, just the way it's structured and things like that. So to me, that was a real natural genre to go down, and yeah, I haven't really looked back. You certainly haven't. And uh, you must be thrilled with uh, your results because uh, each book's been quite different, but there's mm. always, always uh, an atmosphere in your stories. I can visualise where I am and uh, the places are well described, and oh, um, good. and they're not, but they're not known places particularly to me, or I can yeah. think of a place in New Zealand where it might have been, especially yeah. with To the Sea. I had that place right in my mind. Yes, but a lot of a lot of my readers say that because I, all of my places are fictional, and I often base them on places around New Zealand. But I quite like listening to readers. They come to me and say, "Oh, I thought I was here or here," yes. and it's always it's always different places. So I, I quite like that. Yes. Well. Um, Everly is a small town in New Zealand and mm -hmm. um, Jack Morgan comes back to the town because she's concerned about her younger sister mm. who is missing. So we will look at, let's look at that part of the story first and but, mm. but not tell anybody too much. Yeah. <laughs> because both, both of these families, 21 years difference in time, have mm. been torn apart by tragedy and loss and it almost, in, with two families this happening to, uh, one with the older daughter and one with the younger daughter, yeah. um, for this reason that she's, Jack's come back, um, you know, she's all she cares about. Um, yeah, yeah. so um, Jack was almost chased out of Everly when she was a 17-year-old. Um, there was a fire and her mother died. Um, I won't give too much no. away there. But um, she uh, she was always really close to her sister, Charlie, uh, who was seven years younger than her um, and always felt a little bit guilty about leaving. Um, and she's not really in communication with her father. Um, so it means a lot when her father texts her and says, Charlie's missing and no one's doing anything about it. Um, so that gets Charlie, uh, that gets Jack back to Everly. Um, and it is, it's a, it's a tiny little settlement. Um, and overlooking that, that little settlement is this 100-year-old Gilmore Hotel. And that's where Paige and Lisa, the two other sisters, uh, come into it. Mm, and their mother and Lisa... Um are still are still alive, and there's they're yes. going to have an open day in the house, which they used yes. to have um, every year. So yes. Jack used to be when she lived in Everly. She 
was involved um, in that house, and it was always the haunted house to her. Yeah. So that has a mystery on its own, really. And yes. um, it's just um, cleverly, cleverly planned because it go, goes so smoothly. You know, you, you intertwine the two yeah. families. Um, I don't know how, quite how you did it because I went back um, and... Yeah. <laughs> And I thought, I'm getting two novels here. <laughs> I know, and, and it almost felt like that, and um, it wasn't easily done, I'd just like to say. Um, and I did write it, I did write, so it's written from the point of view of um, Jack and mm. Charlie and Lisa. Um, so Jack and Charlie in the present and Lisa in the past. Um, but I often did kind of jump ahead and write Lisa's parts, like it wasn't written um, step by step as you see it in the book chapter by chapter and when I kind of get to, when the reader gets to the kind of reveal parts uh, of the open day in the past there were probably four or five chapters of the past and present that I really had to play around with um, and move them around just so that I could get that really good reveal so that the reader could be properly surprised I hope <laughs> and you've got some flawed characters in this novel always. haven't you yeah. always <laughs> yes. not quite likeable um, because <laughs> Um, you know, um, what's her name? I'm trying to think of the mother's name. Um, oh, Iris. Iris, yeah, yes. yes. Iris is um, an eccentric, isn't she? And mm. um, she's a matriarch, and uh, um, I was quite scared of her. <laughs> yes. I, um, I quite liked writing her. She... Uh, I kind of had the aim, again, Iris is in both the past and present chapters. Yes. So in the past, she's in her early 50s and she's the mother of two teenage daughters uh, and she's living in this big old hotel that used to be owned by her mother and she's busy doing it up with hopes to open it up again. And then 21 years on, she's in her early 70s. She's not in good health um, and a lot's happened to her. And She's not a very nice person, but I, I, I really wanted um, the reader, just maybe for a few seconds through the book, just to feel a little bit of sympathy for her at some stage. And when my editor was going through it, she left a note saying, Iris confuses me uh, in a good way. And I kind of wanted the reader to kind of look at Iris as like she's an elderly woman in the present chapters and... Um, She's suffered a loss and she's grieving, um, but she's also not a very nice person. So I kind of, I kind of like that idea of that flawed character. Um, she's done some terrible things, but she's also been through a lot. Yes, I got that. I, I did get that feeling. Not for long, <laughs> but I did get... No, I, not for long. <laughs> I did get... You know, it's, so it's full of secrets about both families, mm -hmm. isn't it? Um, yes. Especially Iris's family, perhaps. Um, and but the link that um, you, you know you had to bring um, Jack, you had to bring Iris and Lisa mm. into the present because yes. um, Jack gets a job there back in the old yes. house where she was not, where she's really scared. But she seems yeah. to think that might be a link to finding mm. her little sister because she doesn't believe that she would run away. Yes, exactly. And it's it's a small place. Everly is a small place, and she ends up in this. This, this old hotel working for Iris while she looks for, for Charlie and just a few things start happening and one of the biggest ones is um, this that her sister and Paige look a, a little bit alike um, mm. and so, so she starts kind of looking a little bit more not at the, the settlement of Everly but at this hotel and, and the secrets it holds That's right So strong, strong characters 
which you always do so well. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, Iris is very strong, yeah. and uh, and so is Jack. Uh, yeah. uh, you don't involve the police, really, do you? Only no, I on don't. The, no. And, yeah, and that's what I do. I've done, I did that with To the Sea and In Her Blood, and I kind of it's becoming my thing, I think, and it's because. Well, probably two reasons. I my self published books they weren't really police procedurals because the, the no. protagonist was a was a journalist. And I like I know I can't do a police procedural. I like, I feel I don't have enough knowledge and I'd have to sit down with a detective for months mm. on end just because I'd want to get everything right. Um, so that's why I have kind of the amateur sleuth or just absolutely um, putting my reader right in amongst the actual action. Um, so there's always a mystery to be solved, but um, there's always a lot more going on. So and that's why I do that. And um, and I quite I quite like being with the people who the violent crime is happening to. Normally with a, a police detective, it's seen from um, kind of outside looking in, uh, but with like the families that the violent crimes are happening to all these people. I quite like that they're right there in the middle of it, and I quite like using that that point of view. And I'd quite like that too, because I don't um, really follow a character in the crime I read. Mm, I like mm. a variety of crime I'm reading. And so, you know, I, I mean, Ian Rankin's detective yes. um, has become well-known, of course, mm. and there's several of the others, of people yes. who use the same person and and um, you develop that uh, sort of, oh, I suppose, a link with that person. Yeah. But I yeah. quite like putting the, you know, looking at Jack as the yeah. one who's responsible for doing the work. Mm. Yes, and it always takes a little bit of thinking about how I can keep the police out of it just for a <laughs> yes. little amount of time. For To The Sea, they were um, a very insular community, so the idea of letting outside people in was, was a really big no-no. Um, and, and in her blood, really, the present chapters are only over a couple of days, really. So Jack's actually gone to the police for help. Um, and they've managed to convince her that Charlie ran away, uh, run away. So um, yes. if, if the story did carry on, um, I won't give away what happens, but the police probably would have been involved within, mm. you know, another four days. But just for this weekend, when, when Jack's searching for Charlie, uh, she's on her own. That's right. So mm. well done, and um, I can hardly thank wait you. for the next. So uh-huh, um, one reviewer, or what's, what's on the um, front cover, but mm. uh, wrote moody and atmospheric, and I certainly agree with that. A tense and twisting story that crackles off the page, and That's it's a great quote. And that plot twist at the end was just blew me away. Oh, good. <laughs> so I it, always aim for that. <laughs> yes, well, you you have always got it so far. So I'm sure she'll be in the Nio Marshes this year, and I wish oh, you. wish you luck and. Uh, Keep writing. So, I will, um, thank you. Nikki Crutchley has just written In Her Blood, her new one, out, and it's published by HarperCollins. And join us, Moran Rout and Ruth Todd, next Tuesday on Bookends on Plains FM 96.9.